What's up, everybody? You're listening to Salah's Corner with the one and only Salah Muhammad. So if you are uh, listening to my voice, hopefully you're home practicing social distancing. Coronavirus is really running rampant across the state of Pennsylvania. We're over 4000 cases across the country and across the world. Um, but this is a great time to connect to different podcasts that you love, to TV shows. I know I've been on a crazy movie bender. I'm no, I know a lot of people have been recommending some uh, contagion and quarantine styled movies because um, we just can't get enough of it, right? I, I think about this moment as we're all home and we're really relying on technology to keep us connected. You know, we're relying on phone calls, we're relying on text, we're relying on Zoom calls and email and all of these forms of technology that are already in place, social media to stay connected with each other because we're so used to that interpersonal connectivity. We're so used to that human connection that we're not able to experience that now. So we can have to rely on these tech companies really to make us feel connected now more than ever. And that goes with the theme of, uh, of our conversation and a bit that I'm bringing you on this podcast. I recorded it a few weeks ago, just before we uh, got the stay at home orders uh, for coronavirus. And it was a conversation with the developers of the E-Day app. The first half of our discussion was really about how technology plays a role in dominating private and public information. And if that access and those companies are limited to big players like Facebook, Google, and others, then is it a threat to how we uh, view government? Is it a threat to how we you know, navigate society? But then also, as we see cities such as Philadelphia, which is becoming a huge tech hub, how does that look for black and brown people trying to navigate their space, find jobs, find education, and find resources to uplift their communities. So I'm, I'm bringing you that in this conversation with the developers of the E-Day app. Um, they are two uh, black uh, tech individuals, L and Lee. I really got an opportunity to talk about some of the tech concerns that's been on my mind for a very long time. Uh, but then also, how do we continue to play a role in politics and policy and electing candidates who support our values, who support regulations on technology and support putting black and brown people in key positions so they have as good as a fight as anyone else. So I've had a lot of people coming to me asking me where I find the time and the space to make all of these podcasts happen. Well, I have to thank the folks at Rec Philly. They provide me the space, the equipment and the networking capacity to make this take off. And it's not just for other podcasts. Other creative individuals use this space as well. We're talking musicians, photographers, anyone that considers themselves a creative individual. So if that's you, head over to Rec Philly. Visit them on Instagram. And if you find yourself wanting a membership, tell them Salah sent you. So again, my name is Kalita. I go by Lee. I graduated from St. John's University with my bachelor's in government and politics, and I concentrated in international relations. I worked a few jobs over the years just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, millennial life. Right, that's real. 
And then I met L about four years ago, and he told me about our nail business, E-Day. And from there, we've been blossoming for the most part. So it was initially uh, his idea, and I just kind of helped bring everything together, essentially. Oh, oh. <laughs> Introduce yourself, young man. Yeah. <laughs> My name is El Shafiq Asad Ali. I'm the uh, founder and CEO of E-Day App. I've worked in politics for probably over 16 years, mm. former chief of staff for state representative in Philadelphia. I'm a former liaison for State Senator Anthony Hardy Williams. I was the field coordinator for his first uh, mayoral campaign. I was the state volunteer coordinator for his the gubernatorial campaign and just been working in different elections for, you know, all that time. That's where I kind of came up with the concept of working in elections with, with canvassing and when I met Lee and learned about her background, not just in through her degrees, but also the activism that she does, and she's a great salesperson. So I was <laughs> like, you know, this is good, you know, to to be able to include her into the business. That's super dope, and I, I love seeing uh, black people get together on uh, doing business with each other and promoting each other because that's I think that's something that our community needs more, but. Let's let's flip the, the switch a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about how you both respectively, let's dive deep and, and how you got into politics and community issues. We'll start with Lee. Okay. So, well, politics kind of started from a young age with my father. He's really uh, big on activism and just being very well versed in knowledge about how things work in this world in order for me to succeed. So that's where my introduction came. I've always actually had a love-hate relationship with politics. I like that, <laughs> like that love-hate because the love is real but the hate is like... Yes, uh, and it was always like one of those things where I try to convince myself that like I didn't like it. I was like, I can't. But then I've always found myself getting sucked in. And then, like, as I got older, um, I realized, like, it was just important um, to, to know, like, and learn basic civics and things like that. Mm. I actually went to college trying to be a journalist. And then that didn't work out because I didn't like how that was set up at the time. And then I was just like, well, I'm really good <laughs> with governmental and pol politic things. And I always wanted to help issues internationally. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I came about with getting that degree. And then throughout college, when I would come home, I would work uh, as a canvasser a lot of times on political campaigns. Mm -hmm. So that kind of like got me a little bit <laughs> sucked into it. After I graduated college, I tried to, again, go away from it. <laughs> I briefly interned at a political office in New York, and I didn't like how it was run, so that kind of like turned me off a little bit from it. So after I graduated college, like I said before, I just worked a lot of different jobs just trying to figure out what my calling would be. And it was just funny when I met him, <laughs> I was like trying to get away from it. And then when I met him and he was telling me about the business and everything like that, and I was just like, wow. Maybe this is my calling and maybe this is what I need to be doing uh, right now. So that's kind of how I, like I said, I had like a little love-hate relationship. I was yeah. always trying to get myself away from it. But like as I got older, I realized like the importance of like people of color. Like even if you don't get involved necessarily um, in the background of politics, it's very important for us to know like certain basic things in politics because it affects us. You know, there's like the stigma where they think like certain things don't affect us. Mm -hmm. And it's like all of it affects us yeah so <laughs> yeah it's so, yeah. that's that's so crucially important and you know that's as to the theme of this podcast right is why we 
we built this platform to highlight the, the areas of importance, but also to educate, to right. make people not just to highlight it, but also, okay, well, let's look at your individual life and show you how that's important and right, how right. these different policies uh, impact it. Uh, L, was it, is that the same for you as, as far as politics? Was it a very like love hate relationship? It, it was something to get used to. I'm 44. So, oh man, you look like you like 30. For real? Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, bro. I appreciate that. <laughs> Flatty gets you everywhere. <laughs> but I was a hood dude. Yeah. I, you know, so crack weed into the streets and it wasn't until someone came to me, you know, just to help enlighten me. You know, I went to transition of, you know, Nation of Gods and the Earths and mm. Moorish Americans and, and different transitions. So, and that got me to the point where I started to become self-aware that I need to be more involved in my community instead of destroying it. Right. So I was in the grassroots level, different grassroots organizations, and I, I wanted to know the other side. I knew the grassroots level of political activism, but I didn't know the the other side of it, which is being there. So when I became a liaison, I, I, I learned a lot more about the processes and the services that our, our people or people in general deserve from their elected officials, and that you know, we should be a, more aware of this information in order to help and support our causes and our initiatives. So that's when I really got involved because then I was able to see the different power structures involved in order for, to in order to navigate those different avenues for, you know, other people and to bring other people in. I, I'm glad you, you, you mentioned that, like, information, disinformation, and, and how we essentially find our place in the mix of all of this. Uh, tell us a little bit about what eDay app is, because I do want to dive into the, the specifics and the details. I was telling Lee when we first met, like, yeah. I'm a man of details. I love <laughs> diving into details. I get super nerdy. So explain, let's break it down what it is. Sure. eDay is a uh, mobile canvassing uh, platform that's used to collect data from neighborhoods, from municipalities, cities, and across the country. We use the voter file that's provided to us by, you know, we, we purchase it through the state or private parties and be able to help campaigns reach their goals, whether it's to win or with nonprofit organizations is to collect data on constituents or residents who use the services. And so... I was watching this movie. I, I mentioned it earlier, and I looked it up while I was sitting here. It was The Great Hack. Have you seen it on no, Netflix? No, I haven't seen it. Have you so seen it? I haven't seen it, but I, I've heard about it. It's like, man, talk about like watching it and thinking everybody like is is out to get you. Every source of information that you put online, every source of you know name, email, phone number that you write down somewhere. Like, so essentially, it's uh, what happened with the relationship between Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. And for those who don't know how Facebook brought in all of these companies that and gave them access to their data, right. and then Cambridge Analytica lied on whether they deleted that data. One, mm -hmm. there's the problem of Facebook, well, why would you even give them access to that data? Right. And then two, Cambridge Analytica, shady, didn't delete the data after you pulled out of their systems and then started using that information 
overseas selling it back to American uh, political campaigns to leverage and target individuals. Right. That's a lot. But to break it down essentially, it's targeting information from Americans who didn't give them their information directly, right? Getting it from an indirect source. How do you, as you, as you guys develop this app and as you engage with, because mostly you're, you're involved with political campaigns and do you do a little bit with like nonprofit organizations as yes, well? Yes. How, how do you think about your activity in that space when we are concerned with information and, and, and technology using all of our information? Sure. I'll answer the first part. Security is the number one issue when it comes to people's information. The uh, voter file that we already receive it's public information in every state. Any per any person, and it's supposed to be that way. Any person, including yourself, can purchase the voter data, and it's public information. What happens is you have no l laws in place to protect people's public information. Mm. Facebook is private information because you have to, you know. You, you actually log in with your information. So that's that's a private company, and there's a difference between private and public. And so what we, you know, care about is making sure that when we do have people's voter file information that, that we protect it, we make sure that our client's data is secure so that it doesn't get hacked. But there there's no situation where there's a hundred percent security in mm. anything. We found that out through through TransUnion and Equifax mm -hmm. uh, and Experian that that these companies that outside are out of there Facebook protecting our data. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Is the because, one getting hacked. Yeah, I mean the credit bureaus are the number ones who uh, the number the number one uh, company organization that that collects data on every single person. Mm. Right. This is your credit file, so all that information is there. So that, but that's not public. There are certain laws in place that Congress put in place in order to protect your data. But there's really no, <clears throat> no real laws and, and controls on private organizations who you sign up and them, then them selling the data to others. Mm. So you know, with that, I, I think that you know we need to push for more laws in order to make sure that people's public data is secure. I get the nuance there, and I think of as this platform uses itself to speak to the person who isn't privy to like the nuances of 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 that kind of conversation. How do you traverse that, right? As someone who isn't highly engaged, as someone who probably didn't watch the movie, mm. I'm just thinking of as well. That's still my information, right? Like that's still that's still my name that's out there on something. Well, with public information, well, okay, so. I worked in sales, and it was always a big thing about public information, PII, which is basically your personal information. Mm -hmm. The information we have is literally, like he said, you can, if I went to Google you, I could probably find you or things like right. that. That would be considered public information. Now, we're not dealing with, like, Social Security numbers or anything like that, which is considered 
private right. information. And like he was saying in regards to like Facebook and things like that, which I'm sure is in their terms and conditions that people don't read and a lot of people don't and I still don't think that was right how they did it. But like they basically have something in there that basically says like we can sell every all your everything all your to a third party. And the other thing with that was that even if you don't have a Facebook, if the company has a contract with Facebook, they can they sell still your can, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so, that's that's what happened really and so like the movie i'm telling you like i i've probably watched it like twice already mm-hmm. just to like did that really happen like did this shit really happen did they really gain all of this data and access and information on on people you know birthdays and friends birthdays and then they then correlated that with what type of voter is the most influenced by the the campaign that we're putting out there so not just like a blanket okay everybody who likes you know, putting American flags on their lawn. It's like, no, everybody who likes American flags to put on their lawn and that are most swayed by all of this information that's right. out there. And you know what's crazy? I can't remember where I saw it, but a lot of business people were talking about that being kind of like the quota in some time in the future where yeah. people will use kind of like a, not a social media, but like kind of like that information to decide, you know, are you a good fit for the job or mm-hmm. things like that? Like it's basically a profile that's created for you, not like, you know, not like where you can, from like LinkedIn, but it's created for you and that they'll have access to certain data about you and, you know, be able to tell like, well, is this person likely to do this or is this person likely to do like, you know, those surveys you do when you do the job? Like 50 yes. questions. Eventually those will be in. so yeah. antiquated and they'll be gone because they'll have a system yep. where based off of just your name and, you know, they're getting your personal information because they're trying to hire you. They can access, they can access basically this profile for you to find out if you're a good fit or not. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where the world's going. And like for those who aren't really like, involved like it'd be probably a good time to start kind of brushing up on it because it goes down it's going to end up coming down to laws and what's going to end up protecting us as a person our data because we none of us own our data yeah. We don't own it. Yeah, not, any, not not in the world that we live in yes. today. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would just add too is is that they already do that. I mean, what in sh- life insurance companies they mm-hmm. look at your background and and go in detailed information about you. They look at your you know Facebook activities, see if you're bungee jumping or skydiving. Like companies have been using data that un- unfortunately we give publicly. Uh, to use against us. So that 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 leads me to like a thing that's been on my mind, and I didn't even think I was going to end up having this conversation for a long time. But like now, I feel like I can actually have it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's this this I view the way we monetize information and how technology also plays a role into that right. as a threat to if we're not careful. Let me let me not be an alarmist and let me not be someone that is just like I'm in the bunker and I pull all my information from social media. No, I'm very active on social media. You know, I, I have I know I have public information that I want out there, but I do think there there is a moment where when if we are not careful with how much information that's out there on an individual level and the access of technology and the limited number of companies who have access to that technology starts to replace democracy and becomes that threat of if I have the access to everything on individual at an individual level 
and I'm able to sway voter impressions, but then also talk about whether you're qualified for access to jobs, to health care, to insurance, is government a factor anymore? Yeah. Like, do this, are those companies more are bigger than government itself? Well, I, I would totally disagree with that because there need to be there needs to be more laws in place, more checks and balances to make sure that our public information is secure. Now, what you put out privately and the the release of information you put out privately is is something totally different, which people can use in order to directly market it towards you. But I, I would say with, with our system of, of voter data, it's to be able to make an even playing field for for campaigns and independent parties who don't have the money for technology, who don't have the resources to purchase a, a, a voter file to help them uh, win an election to support their communities. So what we do is we, we give them access to be able to help create a better change. And mm-hmm. that's what it's about. So, I mean, you have like Isaiah Thomas and you have a lot of other people in our community who ran who necessarily the party didn't support it. Mm-hmm. Now, with other systems outside of E-Day, if you don't have party support, you can't have access to those tools. They don't even give you access to the voter file. Like you have to purchase it at a higher, at a way higher rate right. than if you could. But if you're you and you just want to, you know, take a leadership role to support your community, how difficult is that when right. you don't already have the money? You have to, you know, put out all this a huge amount of money in order to purchase, you know, a voter file and the system to help you win the election to be even to help your people. So. With us, we use the data, the public uh, data file, to be able to level the playing field for anybody who wants a leadership role in government. So, if if I hear you correctly, you're saying, you know, you opened that with saying there obviously be, needs to be more regulation, which, like, I 100% agree with. Right. But then also, if there are more players, there's less of a threat to an, you know, someone monopolizing information. Correct. Sounds like net neutrality. You know what that is? Yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> I know we're not going to get into it. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started on that, right? Because yes. that's like a whole other that wormhole. Is a, that's I what I thought of uh, when you were talking about that. So that's but, immediately but what I thought it, of. But it's, I mean, you know, those are overlaying conversations right. on how technology plays a role into who has access to what information, right? Mm-hmm. Like a few years ago when the whole the Amazon did the fake, I call it the fake campaign to open up a new location because like you know they they did this whole campaign where they said we're going to put a new hub into some city and had all of these cities putting out bids and and giving up free information right um not just on businesses but on population on demographics to amazon and then they went with like your typical like new york Metropolitan DC right. area, and it's like, come on, really? Was like, it really? Built in New York, though? Like, no, they ended they up did, like they ended up pulling out or something. Ended right? up pulling out of New York yeah. because of the backlash, because the obvious backlash, right? Like, you have small cities, you know, places outside of Philadelphia or you know, middle of nowhere Ohio that were given all of this information, thinking that they had a shot to compete with big metropolitans, and they never had a shot to begin with. And it was just now they still have like 
you know, it, yeah. it becomes turns into the, the situation with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Are you now turning that data back over to those cities and then deleting what you had? Or are you keeping that and now I can harness that information and target people in those areas? But I would say that, I mean, they already have that data anyway from the people who shop. If you think they don't put together all the analytics of, of everybody in Philadelphia, their zip codes, what they're receiving daily, what you're purchasing, they have all that data and they can create profiles based upon that data already. Right, but then if they're getting it from the metropolitans, they're getting more targeted data. And if they had it, why did they need to do that to begin with? Right. Yeah, that's true. And I, but, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you don't let everybody know what you're doing or, or what you can do. Uh, but I, I, I looked at that as of, wow, this is really, because I think Jeff Bezos has got some, anyway. I think, you know, when you get to that level and you have so much access, when one person or one large corporation is monopolizing all of that information and also has the hand in technology, like you said, we need more individual players to break up the competition, and but then also regulation so that it doesn't grow. Into- yeah, exactly. So if we don't elect certain people, then... How do we expect those laws to change? If we're not, you know, electing people who are progressive in their thoughts to say, well, hold on, we need boundaries on companies like Facebook and, and, and others who use our data, our private data, and selling it to anybody who they want. So, but how do we start those movements and mm. using technology to create greater movements to do the change that we need? Right. So we need black and brown tech companies who unfortunately don't receive the light as Amazon and Facebook, but there is a a growing business sector of black and brown technology companies that need to get more face value than those two. Let's talk about that actually for a little bit because, you know, after when we, Lee and I first met, I talked to another young lady not even 30 seconds later, and that was a a huge topic of our conversation was about, you know, Philadelphia is becoming this huge tech hub. Yes. But there is a, I I see it as a threat that that tech hub looks like people from outside the city, it looks like people who aren't black. And, you know, it will further put certain communities into, you know, deeper poverty and deeper, you know, risk for losing homes to not seeing the improvements as their surrounding neighborhoods. What how are you seeing technology in the city of Philadelphia and black people invading that space? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So. I'm trying to figure out how, like, so I don't sound like an alarmist or anything like that. Because no, I, I talk a lot about, like, the whole gentrification thing. And, like, it kind of, I see it kind of, like, as a Band-Aid, essentially, that Philadelphia is doing right now. Where they're bringing in people from, you know, North Jersey yes. and New York. And, and it's like, like there's that, people in the city here. that can do this. Yeah. What's it? Over 200,000 people in Philadelphia alone. Yeah. They're unemployed or living under the poverty line. And instead of them trying to find out, find, figure out ways to employ people uh, from here, they're instead band-aiding it. So they're getting people who have higher incomes but also looking for like a lower living situation come over here. So they've got these, you know, like the hospitals hiring people that's outside of the city instead of people who probably are more than qualified that work here to work for them. So I think it's for us, I think it's like 
with the tech world, <laughs> I think about when he went to a tech conference and we're in Philadelphia and we know um, of a few uh, people of color. And what'd you say you thought it was only like five people maybe? Uh, no, they're reaching, uh, yeah, about five people in Philly Tech Week right? Wow. Uh, at the film. That were black? Philly, right. Five tables. I mean, just not just black, but I'm someone also black and brown. Wow. So there was only five out of maybe a little more than a hundred or so tables that were there, and that was Philly Tech Week. So, but this is the kind of things that that we've seen. But I will also go back to education. Education and technology, especially STEM or STEAM, is very important for for our our children, for for young people, for for adults be able to move into these industries. Comcast, which they build their uh, new building, the building, their Comcast Future Technology building, there, there's not a lot of people, black and brown, who work in the technology department. Uh, a lot of people are either from the Middle East or from East, Eastern Asia. That's because the education is not directing us into STEM technology. Right. The the school district is failing our children in the development for them to become the new engineers and programmers. Mm. Just we're not doing it. And the, yeah, and the programs that they do have for STEM, they're ridiculously expensive. Even if you're trying to get like a child into it, it's ridiculously expensive. And there are programs out there, like Urban League had one where they were getting people A plus certified. But it's like, how do we make sure the community knows about that? Like, you wouldn't probably know about it unless you follow them on Facebook or Instagram or kind of know somebody that works there. So for me, also, it's kind of like we have programs like that in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. but it's like, I feel like getting it out there is the diff I don't know why that's difficult. Like people don't really know about it unless they hear from word of mouth. And right. and are there enough of those programs where right. it's you know we can be represented and it's not you know eight people going for one seat at the table. Yeah. Um, you know playing music or chairs. My last episode was actually with uh, well when this airs it will probably not be my last episode but <laughs> the one that just recently posted I sat down with two black educators who are STEM teachers. And one had a, a nonprofit, one works at CIC. And, you know, they their program specifically targets black and brown communities who are in poverty or disadvantaged. But I, I agree. I don't know if there is enough of those programs that are out there. I don't know if I know. I know it's me specifically growing up here in Philadelphia. There wasn't enough education for science, technology, engineering right. and mathematics right. for me and I, I saw the disappearance of those programs as i moved through the education system so i i, I know for a fact today that that doesn't necessarily right. exist yeah so who who takes those jobs then when you have tech companies and tech startups in philadelphia who are hiring for programmers and developers who takes those jobs is not the people in the community because they don't have the education to do those jobs, so I, it's, it's important for for us as as a as a uh, tech business with diverse ownership because I'm American Indian too. So it it takes us to be able to align with others in in the city and to try to educate as we build. And we need because it's needed. It's needed. Philadelphia will be this new Silicon Valley on the East Coast. Right. It's already predicted. But like you said, you had these people moving in, you had people moving in with higher degrees in technology, 
um, from New York or whatever who can move in and go into these jobs and be able to afford those $250,000, $300,000 homes that's now changing our communities. And pushing us yeah. to the suburbs. Right. But it's also like if we do have the resources, it's finding a better way for everyone to find out because like growing up, like for me, I went to private school. I went to Baldwin. But my dad had to do like diligent research to find out there any other options for me. And I noticed that with black and brown communities, it's like unless someone is really, really like looking or searching, it's really sometimes hard to find out what is out there. And if you do find out, maybe it's too late or maybe like because of the program, they won't have another one for another year or something like that. So I feel like outside of like, if we do have those resources, it has to be a better way than just promoting it on Facebook and Instagram and other things like that for them to get it out to the community. Because then, you know, you hear about sometimes nonprofits or things like that saying like, we can't fill our seats, but it's like, all right, well, what are you guys doing? Why aren't you able to, especially if it's a free program? So why aren't you able to? Are you guys knocking doors? Are you guys doing it the old way, putting flyers in the neighborhood and things like that? You know, because, you know, we still have older generations in neighborhoods, so and they still read papers and stuff like well, that. They do. So, they do. Yeah, so it's like, what what, what, what are y'all guys doing? I feel like sometimes, like, it, people get lost in technology and kind of forget about, I guess, what they consider now the old school ways of doing things. And, like, maybe that's what we have to go back to in regards to letting everyone know that these resources are out there. Like, Urban League has that tech program. Or, like, CareerLink might have something or something like that. And it shouldn't be left to just you know, technology to let someone know. Right, and they, well, some technology they should use, they should use eBay for, so that they can canvas. <laughs> they'll go yes. door to door. Fly, use go, eBay. Go door to door and be able to dis- disseminate that information. We actually, I was had a conversation with a um, person from Aetna uh, Healthcare to be able to use our app to disseminate, do, uh, disseminate information to their members going door to door. So, but, you know, Adding to the, the whole discussion, we're in the field of, of, they say, polytech, political technology. Already black and brown are only 5% of the tech industry. We're and talking even about, less women. Right. And I we're think, talking wow. exactly. Less and, than 1%. And especially women, women of, of color. color. Wow. Right. <laughs> and we're talking about a, a, a billion, billion dollar industry. Now, political technology, because we're dealing with campaigns around not just here in the States, but around the world. We're talking to over trillions of dollars, and we're less than 3% political technology. We're less than 3% because you may have a person of, person of black or brown who's running for mayor or you'll have, you know, their chief of staff or you'll have uh, their campaign team or all, like, you know, people of color, melanin. But when you look at their technology, what they're using, it's not from us. Mm. So all that money, those billions of dollars, is not going to businesses of color and technology for those campaigns, even though everybody else in the campaign team is either black and brown. Hmm. So what, we, what we're trying to do in this is to change the industry, even to bring more people field. in. Yeah, <laughs> because there are, there are a lot of people who are trying to get in, but, you know, we need the support of elected officials and, you know, political consultants to be able to see the value and know that just because we're a different color that doesn't mean our technology is not as as better better than the others there there essentially there needs to be a, a very intentional push to include black and brown people specifically black and brown women yes at the table yes yes 100% i, I just wanted to cuz before i forget one person who the 
one person who supported us, Tracy Gordon, mm. who she Tracy New Register Wills in Philadelphia. New yes. Register Wills, uh, black woman, mm-hmm. also a Muslim woman mm-hmm. too, to be a person of her color and complexion, be a woman in thirty eight years. Wow. So I went to uh, I knew Tracy before working in off working in uh, office with the senator, and people knew her as Southwest Tracy. And Tracy ran for different stuff, and a lot of elected officials knew her and stuff like that, but they really ignored Tracy. I seen her one day, she said that she was running for registered wills in Walmart. I said, hey Tracy, I got an app, you know, want you to try it out. And she said, yeah, no problem. So there was, you know, some communication issues with her field coordinator at that time, so we didn't come on until like eight days before the election. Wow. And she said, you know what? She said, I'm going to use the app myself and just go door to door. So we worked on a plan together to target the wards and divisions, but the divisions with the highest turnout. And when we look after the election, what we had picked, we had designed with Tracy with her field strategy. With her field strategy, she had the highest turnout from the areas that we used the app in. That's an amazing success story. Yes, especially to be the first one. Yeah, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's and an amazing yes. success exactly. story. Exactly. For our, our first, and we were still in beta version. So for our first client to, to be and an incumbent. And beta basically means like it's mm-hmm. not even ready for market yet. We just are, we have some. Um, testing. Testing, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, that was historical. Because our first client wanted a, beat someone with way more money, way more name recognition mm-hmm. in the city. In our office for almost 40 years. Right. And, but Tracy's field strategy and, and her using our app was, you know, just historical. And it hist- it's history in the city. So we're, we're glad to be part of it. What, without giving too much away, are you guys working on uh, with any particular campaigns at the moment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be uh, a person in media because that's what I am without yeah. asking that question. And we're in conversations with uh, different campaigns. Okay, yeah. that's good enough. We're in conversations with different campaigns. <laughs> is there? Let me let me see if I can ask this a different way. Then is there any is there any campaigns that you see out there that are conscious on how black people invade certain spaces? Um, Are we talking about the so, uh, federal? Or I'm local? talking about just you know anything, okay. anything that's out there. Any- so we are in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. You yeah. don't have to answer. That. I understand. I, w- I wouldn't be me if I didn't try to. You know. But you know, I I, I, I see Jamie Gautier is doing a lot of great things. Yes. In um, her district, mm-hmm. Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah Thomas, Gilmore. Kathy Gilmore Richardson. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Kendra. Yeah, yeah. I, I see them as being the forward thinkers in council, and also uh, Kenyatta, you know, trying to move our city in this, a different direction with uh, 60% of the population, basically people of color. There's definitely be a level playing field, and I think those people are supporting initiatives to to make it even more level. Before we go, is the, uh, I'll give you guys one more plug to, to throw in about the E-Day app and... Mm-hmm. and the initiatives that you guys uh, support and and your mission. So our yeah. main initiative, uh, I guess, right now is to 
he uses the term leveling the playing field. So just providing resources for those who wouldn't get it otherwise, or it might be a bit of a hassle for them to get it otherwise. Right. And, you know, again, we want to, you know, we want to expand to be able to hire black and brown engineers and and programmers. And we want to be able to teach children STEM. And but in order to do that, we need to, you know, drive business. So we are definitely working on expanding not just here in Pennsylvania, but we're working on a national contract currently to have E-Day being sold to different campaigns across the country. And uh, hopefully around the world, if the coronavirus don't take everybody out first, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> so, but yeah, but you know that that's our goal. We're currently in a uh, venture fair in two weeks. This is our first that we ever got picked in four years. So we're trying to get our pitch ready to be able to get that investment, and hopefully in ten years we go IPO. <laughs> and then everybody can buy our stock. That's that's amazing. I'll be I'll be there trying to get that stock. I, I just want to highlight something that that just dawned on me. You mentioned you know doing this for four years and eight days before the election. You know finding this amazing success story. Yes, like, and it was during Ramadan and it was really hot outside. <laughs> so I mean honestly, it just takes sometimes it really just takes that one person yeah. to give you a chance. And I and I, I I mentioned that because, you know, a lot of people think that a lot of people see the success sometimes, right? And they see, they they think that the success happened from day one, right? And not understanding that four years of work got you ready for that eight days before the election, yeah. not just like you just came up with this in January yeah. and then come come primary time and right. you, just, you just wrote this out, right? right. And truth be told, because before. I was working, I've been working on the app five years before I met Lee. So it's almost 10 years to get to this point. So, and you're exactly right. People only see the results. They don't see the the mud you got to walk through in order to get to that point. Yeah, because entrepreneurship is hard. But it's well worth it when you're working for you yourself. <laughs> but it's hard. Yeah. And, you know, for us, like, we're uh, bootstrapping right now. So for us, it's uh, a lot of our tenacity, also our resilience and things like that is kind of keeping us moving forward because there are going to be times where you're just like, Lord, I don't know. And, you know, you just have to, like, really motivate yourself. And if you don't camp yourself, make sure you surround yourself with people who can help be that sounding board for you because – Entrepreneurship is worth it, but it's harder than just, you know, working, being able to clock in and clock out from a regular job or anything like that. And there's nothing wrong with working a regular job. You can be a regular job worker and an entrepreneur. But, you know, always the goal is to end up being able to sign your own paycheck. Well, not sign paychecks because, you know, that might be right. illegal. But um, <laughs> being able to, you know, know that this is something you built up <laughs> from the ground up and things like that. So that's why I think it's also nice to have a partner because right. like, when I'm not there you know he get me together <laughs> uh, he's not there i get him together so like i said it's re- it's worth it but it's really hard you know social media makes you think everything happens overnight overnight and sometimes people are like spending taking years before they even see any sort of income or anything like that and that's okay because not everyone can have like a success story that happens in six months to a year right so and and being me being 40 about to turn 45 this year it's like, you know, I'm starting a, a new career in my life, a new path in my life. And 
And if I knew now, what it, you know, if I knew now what I didn't know then, you know, I'd probably be already here at times 20. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm just blessed to be able to go through this journey, especially with my co-founder, and for us to be able to expand. Because we need, we, we need to grow as a company and we need to hire people to be able to manage, you know, when we become a billion-dollar company. So yep. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, we're um, for the for the political campaigns, for the for the grassroots organizations, for the people that are thinking of running for office. Where can they find? Sure, they can they can go to our website edayapp uh, dot com. That's e d a y a p p dot com. They can reach us on. They can reach us on Facebook and Instagram, which again is also edayapp e d a y a p p. Yeah, so that's how you can find us. <laughs> on our yep. Facebook, we also have a scheduler. So if you just kind of want to do a, I forgot what they call it, but, you know, just kind of figure how out how we can help you. Well, yeah, it's a calendar. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, calendar request. They can do that on uh, Facebook. Oh. Discovery call. So if you want to oh, do a yeah. discovery call just to kind of see how we can help you and be of benefit and of assistance, then we can always do that as well. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. Oh, I appreciate Thank you both. Thank you. Oh, and follow E-Day on all our platforms. <laughs> Thank you. <As> well. <laughs> Once again, I want to thank Elle and Lee uh, for sitting with me a few weeks ago and doing this podcast. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm at home recording both the intro and outro. I, I decided to re-record them given uh, this latest uh, situation that we're under, this latest pandemic and kind of give uh, an idea of where my mind is and and just I, I just want to say uh, you know we're we're in a very unpredictable time uh, at least most people in the city of Philadelphia is out of work um, schools are closed indefinitely throughout the end of the school year um, you know people are trying to figure out how they're going to pay rent or mortgage and pay bills and keep their lights on and and buy food and find proper health care and all of that uh, stuff that uh, we rely on. And I, I just want to say that I think now is a very important and critical time for everyone to stop and think about what we expect from our federal government and from our state government and local. And I encourage everyone to sit down and really ask themselves that. What do we expect And are they meeting that expectation currently on each of those three individual levels? Um, Because when it comes to responding to crisis, are they responding appropriately? When it comes to providing health care and resources and uh, the ability to get food and to the ability to continue our education uh, for our children and others, are they providing those opportunities for us in the midst of this pandemic? And as this crisis will ultimately at some point sooner or later come to an end, what expectations do we have of them after? Should it be a right to have health care all the time, not just during a pandemic? Should we have a right to have a proper education system that is equal and equitable for every person, no matter where they're from, no matter their religion, their race, their background, no matter the circumstances? And finally, should we have the same respect for workers, regardless of the type of work that they perform at every level of the workforce, no matter about doctors, right? Because we know doctors are the essential personnel, but 
we're also having to reassess and understand that grocery workers and cashiers and pharmacists and the stock people and truck drivers that are shuttling our goods to and from are also just as essential. So think about that as we continue to stay home. Keep your heads up. I know a lot of people are trying to find something to do with themselves. Uh, stay connected. You can always email me at realtalk at salazcorner.com. We're looking to bring you some conversations uh, both all online um, and possibly through like a Zoom conference call uh, just to stay connected, to continue to put information out there. And this is a perfect time for a lot of people to find a local campaign to support. Local politics is probably the most crucial and critical right now. The ability to organize and coordinate and stay connected to your local community is how you are going to continue to get the resources and stay informed as this is a fast moving everyday thing. So thank you to all of my listeners who are always tuning in. And usually I would say uh, Salas Corner is recorded out of Rec Philly while the interview was the intro and outro is recorded at home. Um, it still is produced by producer extraordinaire Bruce Wilson and features music produced by Delgado. For more of my work, please visit SalasCorner.com. And until next time, peace y'all.